You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the fabulous Feinstein's 54 Below. Before we get started this evening, just a polite reminder, please take this moment to silence your cell phones. Also, there is no flash photography, please. Please welcome Lorna Luft. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Feinstein's 54 Below podcast, where we take you behind the scenes at Broadway Supper Club. My name is Kevin Ferguson. I'm an assistant programming director here at the club, and our guest today is showbiz royalty, the daughter of legendary entertainer Judy Garland and producer Sid Luft. Lorna Luft made her performing debut singing on The Judy Garland Show. Since then, she has had starring and guest starring roles on film and television, ranging from Grease 2 to series like Murder, She Wrote and Sean Saves the World. Lorna was the co-executive producer of Life with Judy Garland, the five-time Emmy award-winning miniseries based on her best-selling memoir, Me and My Shadows. For several years, Lorna has been starring in American and British productions of Irving Berlin's White Christmas. Lorna is also a concert and cabaret artist who performs all over the world. Her other theatrical credits include her Broadway debut in Promises, Promises, Off-Broadway's Snoopy and the Extremites, the national tour of They're Playing Our Song, a British tour of Pack of Lies and Gypsy, Grease, Guys and Dolls, Mame, The Unsinkable Molly Brown, and so many more. Everyone, help me welcome the one and only Miss Lorna Luft. Lorna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, this is so exciting. We're seeing each other remotely right now, but it is such a pleasure to meet you. This is so exciting for me. Thank you so much. This is lovely. I can't wait to be in a room with you, though, because... Oh, my goodness, I've got to tell you this. I'm very over all this. I really am. I want live people. I want to see people. I want to. Oh, I just, I mean, I'm tired of being a Hollywood square. I just can't. I can't. And I don't want to be on the Brady Bunch. I don't like it. I just got to tell you something. I'm technically challenged. So thank God for my husband, else people would have just never anything for 17 months. They would have not (laughs) known anything. Right. Same. It has been quite the shift doing everything remote and the technology that we've all had to learn as artists and performers. It has. Wow. (laughs) It's been definitely a shift. This is like what's really been amazing to me is that I've always thought learning a new show or learning, let's say, new lyrics or something like that is difficult. Honey, 
that all can take a back seat. That can okay. all take a back seat to learning how to do anything on a computer with me. Everybody else is really, really technical. I can't, I, you should try to see me send an email. It's terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, I have that same problem sometimes, too. But listen, we're making it through. Live performances are coming back. In fact, Yay! you are going to grace the 54 Below stage soon. Is this the first time since everything went crazy last year that you've been able to get back on a stage and see a live audience? Or have you? Yeah, I can say this, and I haven't said this since my early 20s. This will be my first time. And I sang at my daughter's wedding last month. And in the middle of the song that I was singing at her wedding, I thought to myself, I remember how to do this. I remember what this is like. I remember this. And I just felt sort of a wave of this is going to be okay come over me because it really is frightening. You sort of go back to your first opening night on a stage and you think to yourself, I hope I'm going to be okay. And I hope I don't mess anything up. And I hope, and it just takes you back because we've built up so much confidence and we've built up so much, maybe the word is a little bit of a relaxation about what we mm -hmm. do. And we've built up so much of that over the years. And then when you get taken out at the knees by what we've gone through, it just takes you back to remembering what it was like at the very, very beginning of when you first stepped on a stage. Because not to have done that in the 17 months that everybody has gone through the same thing that I have gone, it, you know, I've never, ever, ever felt that my toes literally were hanging over the rabbit hole. And my husband has said to me, don't go down that rabbit hole because it's frightening. It really was frightening. It was scary. It was everything. And it was really easy for all of us to fall into the, oh my God, what are we going to do thing? And then someone said, okay, there's something that we can all connect on it. And it's mechanical, but we all learn to do it. I mean, if you'd left it up to me, you would have never seen me again. Because <laughs> okay. I don't, I mean, you yes. know. <laughs> yes. But I have to say, I'm so truly filled with grateful and I'm so filled with joy that I'm coming back to some place that is so special to me. 54 Below is so special to me. And I mean that because I feel such a connection to everyone who takes part in making that entire room work. Yeah. And I literally, I thought about everybody so much and I thought, is everybody going to be okay? And what can I do and how can I help them and all of that? Because I really got scared about the room because it means so much to so many of us because we are so well looked after. Mm -hmm. And it's like you really do feel that your second home the door was closed for a while and we couldn't get in. And I thought to myself, how do I help these people? How do I help the staff there and all of that? It was really, to me, I was so scared for you guys. And my show that I put together, I thought to myself, what do I want to say? What do I want to do? And I thought to myself, a lot of people are using the word pandemic, all of that. And I really thought, you know, I don't really want to... 
I know we're in one and we know that, all right? So I thought, what have I learned throughout all of this? And I've really learned about the word grateful. So my show mm -hmm. is, I'm mm -hmm. so excited. I'm so excited all about my gratefuls in my life. It's all about the composers and the lyricists who I have known in my life that I was mm -hmm. friendly with and who are my gratefuls and their music and their lyrics. Yes. And the stories that go along with all of the brilliant composers and lyricists that I have known in my life, not all of them, else we'd have to be there for a lot longer. But I've picked the ones that I think will bring joy and memories and fun. Mm. Just fun. Yes. Yes. You I'm know? ready to have some fun too, Lorna. I, I get that. I am so ready. Yes. Let's get and like have some fun. Let's laugh. Let's clap. Let's cheer. Oh. You know? Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Let's do that. I'm ready. I'm so ready to just go out and see people. And yeah. it's just interesting because you always think of yourself because, let's face it, I'm old. And I, I know <laughs> that, okay, let, don't beat around the bush. I'm old. So, I mean, we've never had anything like this because when you look throughout history, show business has been the one thing that has always flourished during any kind of really terrifying thing that this country has gone through. Mm -hmm. And I, all of a sudden, I felt like we were sort of on the Autobahn, if you understand what I mean. Yes. So I felt like we were all going 150 miles an hour and we weren't taking time to say, hello, how are you? How do you feel? How's mm -hmm. your family or anything? And it went from a green light. It didn't even go to yellow. It just went to stop. Yeah. And we all stopped. And I thought it was really terrifying and it was really scary. And it was a lot of things. But then you started to think, what have I learned from this? And I, I think we've learned to just take that moment and call someone mm. that maybe we haven't spoken to and say, you okay? Uh. Are you all right? And just to connect. And I just hope that is something that we, you know, the human body is so weird because we forget things really sometimes very easily. And when you're my age, you forget them a lot. But you just find yourself, and I just don't want people to forget about reaching out and saying, are you okay, to, right. to one another. Right. Yeah. And we're getting back to that. I feel the energy. I feel everyone really excited to see each other. I feel people a little nervous coming back to the real world. But I think it is opening. I love what you said about the gratitude in your show and how you're really focusing on that as a theme and idolizing your mentors. Do you, you did not have the average childhood upbringing and you grew up in no. Hollywood. <laughs> you grew up in Hollywood. <laughs> Were there any mentors that you really remember inspiring you at a young age? Well, yeah. I mean, I didn't really grow up in Hollywood. I grew up in Los Angeles, London, and New York, because mm -hmm. my mom was always on the road, so we would go with her. So mm -hmm. when everyone whose parents had famous people that were in their family on television, they were grounded, and we were gypsies. We just mm -hmm. went everywhere. Yeah. And I always thought that that was, I loved that. I mm -hmm. really did. So I got to meet composers and lyricists that my mother was working with all over the world. So the first grateful person that I'm paying tribute to in the show is someone that knew me way before I was born and then stayed in my life for 
a long time, and his name was Johnny Mercer. Mm. And Johnny and my mom, of course, met each other when they were doing the Harvey Girls, and that was way before my mom's first marriage. <laughs> so, <laughs> and way before I was thought about. So it's people like that who I have stories about who not mentored me, but they were just around and because of their music and their lyrics, I learned so much. And Johnny Mercer wrote my theme song. He wrote the song Lorna for me. <sighs> and I think that's pretty remarkable when you think about how important he was to the Great American Songbook. Mm. So he's one of the people that I'm talking about. I'm also talking about Jerry Herman. Uh. Jerry and I, that was the last time I was on a stage for his memorial. Mm. And then the pandemic hit and everything was closed. And that was really the last time all of the Broadway people were really together in one location. And we had no idea. We really didn't have any idea of what was about to happen to all of us. But Jerry was one of my closest friends. I was friendly with him for 31 years. And I know that because my daughter is 31 and <laughs> I was pregnant when I met him um, with my daughter. Mm -hmm. And I just tell the stories of being on the road with Jerry and how, I mean, he was really, Jerry Herman knew how to do one thing. It was the one thing he loved more than anything. And he loved to laugh. I was lucky enough for Jerry to call me when he did his television special, Jerry Herman's Broadway at the Hollywood Bowl. And just working with not only him, but with Leroy Reams and with the incredible Leslie Uggams uh. and the fun that we had on that tour. And we did something like, I have to get the exact number, but I know I'm not far off. We did 27 cities in six weeks on a bus. Lorna, how did y'all do that? Honey, don't ask. <laughs> we laughed. We laughed to a point where it was nuts. We laughed mm. to a point where it was really, I mean, that's what I mean. And you know, 31 years ago, when Jerry offered me this wonderful tour, it, it was funny. He left out the part about the bus till the end, <laughs> you know? Uh -huh. and, he, and he said, oh, you want to do a tour? It's going to be great. We're going to call it Jerry Herman's Broadway, and we're going to go to 27 cities. I said, great, on a bus. On a and bus. I thought, oh, okay. But you know, 31 years ago, you didn't even think about it. You went, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and now That's you still of... have those memories. It's one of those, oh, my... we'll laugh about this later kind of moments. <laughs> oh, well, but we laughed all the way through it. Oh, that's we good. All the way through it. But he was so special and he was so divine and he was such a good friend to me. Another grateful that I'm honoring and sort of saying my thank yous to was a man who became truly part of my family, and that was Peter Allen. Hmm. And Peter was my brother in law. Wow. And how I was a young, awkward teenager when I met him and. He was so important in my growing up. And as I said, he was really, you know, very, very much, he was my brother-in-law and he was so special to me. And so that person is real special, special. I don't know, like that little ornament that you might have on your mantle. And he's so special to me. And then a woman that I really did love and she was so responsible for my 
teenage years because she wrote some of the greatest pop songs with girl groups, and her name was Ellie Greenwich. Oh, yeah. And Ellie Greenwich was my friend, and it's a funny story how I met her, but as a teenager, I was so desperately crazy and in love with all of those girl groups, the, the groups that she wrote for, the Ronettes, the Crystals, Bobby Sox and the Blue Jeans. I mean, all of those great girl groups. And she wrote all those songs. And there's all of those songs are just joy and they're fun. And they take us all back to a time where it was a lot less complicated. Oof. You say that again. Definitely. I can imagine. I can imagine things were much simpler back then. And but now we're here. And because of that, and because of your journey, you've been everywhere. You have performed in so many prestigious venues like the Hollywood Bowl and Carnegie Hall and the London Palladium. Do you have a venue that you still want to check out or perform at or a dream that's been on your bucket list? Gosh, you know something? I don't know because I've been very, very, very lucky mm-hmm. to have performed in these great, great venues. I guess the reason that I like the older venues, like the London Palladium and, of course, Carnegie Hall, is the history. I do love going back and looking and seeing, you know, that you're standing on the same stage as, and then you go down the road to see who, and it just becomes incredibly special. And there are venues for many artists that are special because maybe they love the sound, maybe they love the history, maybe Mm. they love the feel. And that's one of the things that I have found to be really, really important because there's something about going into a venue that you have performed at and that you, it's basically like the venue sort of wraps its arms around you. Mm-hmm. And you think, I feel okay. And even though it's really big, you know, mm-hmm. I played the Hollywood Bowl several times and it's so daunting. Yeah. People are sitting literally in a different zip code. <laughs> and I mean, they really are. I mean, I always yeah. say I can see everybody up there in Pasadena. <laughs> they're someplace else. But if there's something about knowing who has been on that stage and the special history of the venue And then you think, listen, I'm really lucky to be here. So take advantage of where you are and what this means and just don't treat it as another gig. Wow. Definitely. Definitely. Just be appreciative all the way through. I feel with your childhood and just traveling around so much, were there moments where you might have been a little hesitant taking the career path of a performer? Do you remember any moments growing up that made you like, "Mm, I don't know if I want to be a performer or were there moments that definitely catapulted you into wanting to be a performer? I think, and I've said this before, when you come from a family of doctors, you're going to be a doctor. If you Mm -hmm. come from a family of lawyers, somebody's going to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. I just went into the family business. Yes. I didn't do anything odd. And when people always say to me, well, do you think that 
going into show business. No, I was born into show business. Mm. So it's something that I was born into. And it wasn't something that I used to say to people whenever people ask me what it was like. And I I always say I have nothing to compare it to because I didn't grow up in the Smith family and then Judy Garland adopted me. Right. So it's like, I don't have anything to compare it. This was my normal. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds odd to people, but it really, really was. Yeah. So going into show business really wasn't anything. It was it, nothing ever crossed my mind that I wouldn't. And I don't mean maybe not as a performer, maybe as, I don't know, something else, but it was always in the business. Yes, yes. So I never really, really thought about that. But, you know, it does make me laugh because I was on a television series for a while, which was very, very fortunate that I was on this show called Trapper John MD. Mm. And I was on it with a young man who I, a lot of actors on the show were brilliant, but Brian Stokes Mitchell was on the show with me. Wow. And so Stokes and I were on this series together. And we would just sit and laugh and this, that, and the other. And nobody knew this because I never told anybody this. Okay, so I was playing this nurse. And we had this one storyline where I was supposed to give this actor a shot, a hypodermic. What they didn't know is I have a dreaded fear of them. Oh, no. And so, oh, yeah. So they put this hypodermic in my hand. And the next thing I heard was the director of photography say, where'd she go? And I had hit the floor. Okay. And, and Lorna, I did. Like that. So I can't tell you how much this pandemic with all of these pictures of needles going into arms has freaked me out totally. And so it has freaked me out. I'm constantly with a clicker going, I can't watch this anymore. So when people say, well, did you ever think of another, you know, like you just asked me? I, no, I never thought of that. Cause I did think about at one point being a nurse, I would have been the worst nurse <laughs> because they would have had to have scooped me up off the floor all the time. Yes. Yes. Needles can be very scary. I get that. I had to look away when I was getting my shot. I just, I can't handle it sometimes. I totally understand. I don't even look away. I just, I just, <laughs> I no. I don't even look when the, you know, we've had so much, I have so much gratitude and so much love for our frontline workers and all mm-hmm. of that. And then I tell them all the time when they come in the room, you know, because I have gotten my booster, so I've triple vaxxed. Mm-hmm. So they come in and I say, okay, I just want you to know I love you. I'll take you for coffee. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do anything. Okay, let's just talk all the way through this. And they go, <laughs> okay. And they talk to me. Okay. <laughs> that is so nice. Listen, you know what you need. And listen, and what would we have done if Lorna Love decided to be a nurse? We would have missed her as an iconic. Oh, no, honey. There would have been so many people who were really ill. (laughs) We would have been doomed. You would have been doomed. It would have been lights out. That is so funny. Oh, my goodness, Lorna. Listen, I love that you decided to go into the family business. I remember the first time I saw you on the screen. It was as Pink Lady Paulette. In Greece too, 
We love Grease 2. How do you feel that out of all these years, Grease 2 is still so iconic? It's kind of become like a camp favorite and like younger generations have fallen in love with it. How does that feel? And what was that experience like doing that movie? It was a great experience. I mean, come on, we weren't out there doing Shakespeare. You know, we were doing (laughs) Grease too. It was a very, very, very long process for me because I knew Alan Carr and I knew when he was doing the first one and I was living in England at the time. And he said to me after they had finished the first one and I had known Patricia Birch. Pat Birch and I knew each other from they're playing our song. Mm. So I had known Pat Birch and I knew Alan Carr and I didn't know Robert Stigwood, but they had called me and they said, there's going to be a movie called Summer School and we want you to be a part of Summer School. And that was right after the first Grease opened. And then it just took forever. And it was, I think it was something like five to six years after the first one had been done that they finally got everybody on board for Grease 2. And it was a long audition process. And it taught me a great deal about doing a film as an ensemble player. And I was so thrilled to be a part of the movie. And I was so honored because I got to work with three people that I was so, I guess, in awe of. And the first one was Eve Arden. I loved Eve Arden so much. I was such a huge fan of her work and of her talent. And then Dodie Goodman. And of course, Sid Caesar, Tab Hunter. Those were the people that I would sit on the set and just talk to and the first thing it would always we would always say you know good morning to each other and then i'd say okay when you did this movie spill it okay <laughs> and they would just they would just laugh because a lot of the younger people weren't as maybe in tune as i was into their biography and their history as actors and i remember the morning that i walked into the makeup trailer and eve arden was sitting there and She just said, I adored your mother. And I said, I know. And my mother loved you. And I just, I can't tell you how much your work has done so much for me and your incredible talent. And she just looked at me and she said, I'll pay you anything you want. (laughs) And we became really good friends. But those memories of Grease 2 and that we're all still really close friends and we're all, we all try to keep in touch with each other as much as we can. And I just feel I'm really grateful. And the one cool thing that happened to me right before the pandemic was I've been doing a show that I hope will make a comeback somewhere in America. And that is Irving Berlin's White Christmas. Yes. And I was on tour with Irving Berlin's White Christmas. And I got a message from our stage manager that there was a young lady who had come to see the show and she had a gift for me. And I I said, okay. And they said, she bought your pink lady jacket and she wants to give it back to you. And she was so lovely. And she said, I've had it for a very, very long time, but it needs to go home. 
And I was so grateful and I was so taken. And so I got my pink lady jacket back. Wow. So I was really, 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 I was very happy about that. Yeah, I can tell you as a young gay, I was always wanting one of those little pink lady jackets. Like I always, <laughs> I thought they were so cute. Oh my goodness. Do you feel like that having that memorabilia in that moment with you right now, you can grab it, you can touch it. Does the memories of the movie and the process come back to you? Yeah, you know, it's run on television all mm -hmm. the time. Yep. But okay, so this is really funny. I'm now a grandmother. Oh, okay. Yes, thank you. And I'm about to be a grandmother for the fourth time. Oh. I have three grandchildren already, and my daughter is going to have her second child. So I have four grandchildren, and they're five, five, and six. Mm -hmm. And so they are now watching Greece too. And they think it's very, very cool that, you know, they call me Gigi and they always oh. say, oh, Gigi, let's watch that movie where you had on that pink coat. And I, <laughs> yeah. Yes, I it's go, iconic. Okay. okay. And it, it's fun for me to take them down that road. And it's just, I'm grateful that the fans are still there. Mm -hmm. And we've had anniversaries of the movie and the sing-alongs in theaters and all of that. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people who make a film and they may not be real proud of it at the time or they may have a problem with it. I never felt that way. I always was really grateful mm -hmm. that I got the role. I got to work with these fantastic, fantastic, talented people. And that I have to say, I feel that the opening of Grease 2, that dance number is still yep. one of the greatest musical moments on film mm -hmm. i really do yes and i just have really good memories and i'm really really pleased that i got to do that and i do and, and some really funny stuff happened on that movie <laughs> yeah wow any fun stories that you can share or top secret hollywood well i mean it was just always always somebody was it was usually that we were all together and it was always a fun time and what was really interesting was Maxwell Caulfield, who was so adorable in the movie. Mm -hmm. And he was married, he's married to a beautiful woman, Juliet Mills. And it was just people coming down to the set and making sure. Uh, the one thing I can tell you is okay, I know I'm going to get flack for this. Uh -oh. I know I am, but I have to t say spending over 10 days in a bowling alley. <laughs> I can actually say that I really don't ever want to be in a bowling alley ever again. That sort of did it for me. Um, yes. I don't like bowling. Mm -hmm. um, I appreciate people who do like it, <laughs> but I'm good. Listen, you're like, I don't have to see a bowling alley ever again after doing that. <laughs> no, no, I'm good. That is so Funny. Okay, so you did your screen action. You were able to make your Broadway debut in Promises, Promises. How did that differ in that process of like making this sequel to this iconic movie with an iconic cast versus making your Broadway debut in Promises, Promises? Well, Promises, Promises, again, I was just in my early 20s. And I sometimes I wish 
that I could go back to really have more insight into that creative team mm. that put promises together. I was lucky enough to have a lovely friendship with Bert Backrack, but it was Hal David who I really had a very close friendship with, and he was always the one that I have a very special place in my heart for lyricists because mm -hmm. I always feel that sometimes they get the short end of the stick. And Michael Bennett, I mean, Michael Bennett was as brilliant as you could possibly imagine and terrifying at the yeah. same time because he was scary because you didn't want to screw up in front of him. Mm. When I met him on Promises, he had not seen the show for a while and he came in unannounced, which I think a lot of choreographers, directors do, just to make sure that the cast doesn't know. And he was angry at certain things that maybe needed to be polished and things and all of that. And I had a very, very long hairpiece, which was a fall that came down. And I remember him knocking sort of hard on my dressing room door and it was sort of well he banged on the door <laughs> wow and, okay oh, he did and i opened it up and he said who put you in that hair and i said hi and he said he just he was just saying you look like alice in wonderland and it looks like the character of Sheldrake is a pedophile and we're uh, cut that hair <laughs> and he was like i mean he was like wow i, I was like Okay, mm. all right, but he was right. And you didn't want to piss off Michael Bennett. You really no. didn't because I said he had a pretty good temper. But when he liked something and when he, when he saw his work being done to the level that he knew it could be, he was a really wonderful, wonderful guy. And I just wish I had more time than I did with Michael. Yeah. But... Neil Simon was, for me, just the quintessential New York writer. I know that a lot of his shows were turned into movies, and he did write incredible movies, but he, he was so amazing because Neil Simon's work had a rhythm. Mm. And if you didn't say it exactly on the page, and if you skipped a word or you dropped something something wouldn't land. He actually wrote in almost a musical mm. way. And he, that's why his plays, that's why his work is so brilliant, because he heard it in that rhythm that he would write it in. And when I did, they're playing our song, and I did Promises, Promises, and I learned a great deal of how, I mean, I very rarely use the word genius because I think it's tossed around too much. Mm -hmm. But Neil Simon truly was a genius because he knew that if you said the exact words as he wrote them, whatever the final outcome of that sentence would be, it would land. Yeah. And that's extraordinary. And when you look at his work from the very beginning throughout his entire incredible career. I was so lucky. That was the first artist words that I got to speak were Neil Simon's. Yeah, that is something 
that I think you'll be able to hold on forever. Neil Simon is iconic. And that team you were talking about is just the fact that that was the team that you made your Broadway debut with. I just feel like that is so exciting. It was exciting. Yeah. You've also went on to writing your own creations. You have a memoir called Me and My Shadows. What inspired you to write that slash what was that process like writing your own memoir? Well, I'm very grateful that the reason that I wrote Me and My Shadows was actually I was in the gym. I had just taken a spin class and I was at the front desk and I was hot and sweaty and repulsive after, you know, you are with a class. And I remember, I can't remember, it was one of the Laker wives, okay, because mm-hmm. they were in the class with me. And I am a massive Los Angeles Lakers fan. Oh. So, and I, okay, oh, yes. All right. Yes. <laughs> yes. They're my Lakers. Yes. I take it all personally. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so does my whole family. But anyway, mm-hmm. she said, oh, you know, there's another book about your mom coming out next. And I thought, really? How many books is this going to be where these people weren't in my house? Mm -mm. There was nobody under a bed writing down what happened and all of this. And I thought, you know, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to tell this story of what my mother was like as a parent, as my mother, and not as an icon and not as a legend, Mm. but as the person I knew. And so I wrote the book in 18 months. I had a fantastic editor at Simon & Schuster, and it was my story, Mm. and it wasn't anyone else in my family's story, and I made sure to say that, because I think if you come from a family of brothers and sisters, they're all going to have their own stories. Of course. And I was thrilled. I was thrilled that it was on the New York Times bestseller. I was thrilled that it did so well. And then when I was able to make a four-hour miniseries from the book with the unbelievable Tammy Blanchard and Judy Mm. Davis, and we were nominated for 13 Emmy Awards, and we won five. Wow. Was a journey that was, it had all the ups and downs of a journey of going from coming out of a spin class into sitting in the audience at night of the Emmys of that book. And I know that people still buy it, and I'm thrilled about that. I also have a special place in my heart for my second book, which was all about all five movies of A Star is Born. Mm. And when I was lucky enough to be in the company and talking with Brad Cooper and Lady Gaga and thinking to myself, They understand this story is not just about Hollywood, that it is a story about human nature. Yes. And that this is what happens to people. And I enjoyed writing that book. Yeah. I have so much admiration for writers because it's a struggle because it is. I heard someone say this and I it is very lonely Mm. because there's no one. It's your thoughts and it's your piece of paper. Listen to me, piece of paper. Um, Okay. Yes, sometimes it's a piece of paper. Oh, it is only a piece of paper with me. And I think to myself, I love to do it, but it's also when you read it out loud or you read it to someone else or you read it 
to and the way that they interpret it or the way they think maybe you should change this and then it's so personal yeah writing your story well not only your story a story but i think that when people do it and they do it in the right way i don't know it's like the first bite of your favorite dessert when you open that book and you read that and you think Oh, yes, they got it. <laughs> yes, yes. I feel you have so many stories. I feel like you've met everyone. I want to sit and talk with you all day. Lorna, this is so exciting. Do you feel connected to the gay community as strongly as your mother was? Some people would refer to you as a gay icon yourself. Do you feel that, <laughs> you know, do you? I think so, but I can't speak for the whole community. But do you feel that? Do you feel the love? I am so grateful to the LGBTQ community because I have learned so much over the decades. I have learned, I've heard their stories. I've heard all of the stories that the people who were actually at Stonewall have told me. I have learned about the struggle. I've learned about the pride. I have learned about the laughter. I have learned about the humanity mm. that the gay community has always strived for mm -hmm. and have we come a long way mm. sometimes yes and sometimes we got a long way to go absolutely and i feel that there is i am involved on the board the stonewall inn gives back initiative and i'm very honored to be on the board of anything that has to do with Stonewall, because I think it's such an incredible story. And it's such a, and each person who was there or who was in the neighborhood or who was a part of Stonewall, of the riots, they have their own personal journey to tell. And I don't ever think that it was my mom's, you know, because everybody said it was your mom's, certain people have said to me, it was your mom's funeral that night that, ignited. And I always think to myself, I think there's so many more pieces that sort of went on top of each other to build the bonfire mm. of the uprising. Mm -hmm. I think my mother's passing away was a spark, mm -hmm. but it wasn't the entire reason. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that because of that, and because of literally having been told so many years of what the gay community and their respect and their love and admiration and their own stories about what my mom meant to them. It's, it's always like I have a little treasure. Mm -hmm. When I walk down the street and I see that beautiful rainbow flag, Mm. There's just something it's when I took my children to West Hollywood and we saw all the flags and I told them a little bit of, of the story. And all of a sudden they looked at the flag and they said, that's cool. Mm. And I said, isn't that cool? Mm -hmm. And so it's a part of my history and I guess part of my family that I'm incredibly honored mm -hmm. and incredibly proud of. And I will always be my mother 
despised and hated bigotry. She hated everything that there was negative or anything about not treating someone like you want to be treated. Mm. And that's what she taught me and I teach my children and now I teach my grandchildren. And it's something that we can't take for granted. And sometimes I get frightened and I get scared that we're going backwards. And then I have to say, you have a voice and you have a way of just, if you meet someone, and especially in today's heated atmosphere, of just saying, explain this to me and talk to me about it. And if you talk to somebody, if you open up, a, I think communication has just gone out the window mm. with a lot of people. And I think it's so important to just say, explain something to me, or I don't understand. I don't think there's anything wrong in saying, I don't understand. Talk to me about it. And then maybe you will understand where they're coming from and you can educate them about what you are trying to say. And I just found that my mother was such an amazing communicator and who she grew up with in her life as the great people in her life and who she listened to and how she talked to my sister and my brother and myself. I think that that is something that I'm incredibly grateful for because when you look back, I'm a child of the 60s. And what you look back and you see the movements in the 60s It was as crazy as it is now. And sometimes when people say, can you, um, have you ever seen anything like this? And I'd say, yeah, I did. I did see something like this. Mm -hmm. I have seen something like this. And I have seen pain and I have seen voices and I have seen, and what, what are we, I mean, what are you now, the couple of generations going to learn from that? And sometimes it's more, it really is the art of listening. Yeah. I find to be incredibly important. So I've listened to so many people and I've heard them. And I think that's all we can really, really, really do. And just don't close yourself off and think my way or the highway. No. That I think is dangerous. And I think that we're in uh, this whole time. I thought about this the other day. And <laughs> I thought, you know, if I took you out to lunch, let's say in 2015, mm-hmm. and I said, you know what's going to happen in the next couple of years? <laughs> You would have called people with a straitjacket, mm-hmm. and you would have had me taken off. Yeah, I would have said, "Go pick up Lorna. She's talking crazy <laughs> about the year 2020. Go pick her up." <laughs> you have said, "Okay, you have got to be in that beautiful jacket that goes this way, and it buttons uh, uh, down the back." Mm, okay. Yeah. It lets you hug yourself. Mm. It makes you hug yourself <laughs> because nobody's going to believe this. Listen, yeah, definitely. Well, I just love what you said about listening to each other and being vulnerable and saying, I don't know that. Please explain that to me. I think a lot of people have to hear that. And the fact that you were just raised with that idea and you still believe in that, I think it's so beautiful. And it's definitely something that people got to hear. 
Well, I think people hear it. I just don't know if they, I, I want more so to hear it is to apply it. Mm. I feel that, yes, New York is an unbelievable part of my growing up and my love of the city and of the entire state of New York. And I love that when it comes down to, and I know people have asked me and when I'm in different countries or New Yorkers sometimes looked at as brash and mm -hmm. rude and all of that. And I said, okay, let me just explain something to you. A lot of people in New York are on their own time clock. And yes, because it is a city that has a pulse to it and an energy and all of that, you can apply that to any big city. But New York City, when it gets into a dire situation, and God knows New York City has been in dire situations, nobody comes together like that city. Mm -hmm. Nobody just reaches out and just lets all of that crap say, okay, we're going to be there for each other. Mm -hmm. And it's just, that's the special thing about New York. And that's why it's so important that people are going back to, I guess what you're going to call our new normal. Yeah. And when I saw, I guess it was last night, Wicked opened last night and Kristen Chenoweth was on the stage and I looked, there was a picture of her and I love her so much. She's so, oh, she's been so lovely to me. Anyway, so I saw her on the stage and I, but it showed a packed theater. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I literally blew it up on my computer and I said, look, look, look. We're back. It's happening. I mean, it's happening. And I think to myself, that is what New York stands for. The theater, it stands for. I watched something really amazing, which was just, oh, it was so, I guess the only word I can use for it was completely heartwarming, heart-wrenching and just made my heart actually almost hurt and fill up with love so much. I watched the Metropolitan Opera come back on 9-11 and they did Verdi's Requiem with a, mm. an entire full orchestra and an entire full choir and four brilliant members of the Metropolitan Opera. And to see that happening and Misty Copeland introduced it. And to see those musicians, that choir, on that unbelievably sad, sad anniversary, but to see everybody holding on to each other was just, it was so heartwarming. And then, I mean, I'm standing up in my living room all by myself, just going, yay, <laughs> like this for them, like yes. I have for but I just, you know, that's what New York is. It's about the arts and it's about whenever the arts can come back, we will. Yes. And that's the cool thing about what we do as entertainers. Mm-hmm. Yes. The show must go on. You know how they say that. <laughs> Honey, I know, listen, I knew Freddie Mercury. Okay. So I, the show must go on. Wow. And this has been, you want to call, you know how we all get to our microphones. And I'm sure 
you do it pretty much every time you do a podcast and you say testing one, two, three, mm-hmm. honey, this has been testing oh. one, two, three. <laughs> we have done the test over and over again. It is time to get to the show. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's like, okay, somebody's going to call places. Okay. It's happening. And you know, it, it's so great. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's really heartwarming and it's heart, it's heartfelt. And it, it is, it's sort of, I don't know, it's a little bit daunting and I yeah. never thought I would really feel like that because, you know, it's something I do and all of that. But because when you don't do it, it's like anything, you know, when everybody says, oh, it's like riding a horse. Well, you know, when you haven't been on the horse for a while, okay, it's a little bit frightening. But then you think to yourself, we're all there to do one thing, and that is be entertained. Yes. I mean, it's not such a really huge deal what we're doing. Yeah. And to be able to say thank you yeah you know what yes. we've been through and what we've all experienced and what we've been through and we can all now go and share that with each other and i don't really i have to say you know when people say social distancing fine i'm all about safety mm-hmm. let's do it yeah let's all do it because let's keep pushing forward and not go backwards mm-hmm. with yeah. anything yes oh yes moving forward with everything With everything. I definitely feel a shift of some kind with the industry, especially after last year. And I like the shift. I like to see where it's going. And I feel like theater is transitioning into this new era with what we got to work with and the stories that are being told. I just think it's beautiful. And I'm really excited to have you back in the city to be back at the Fine Science 54 Below stage. I just... The stories you have told today on this podcast, I feel like they're going to transcend into your show. And I just, I can't wait. I think it's going to be so awesome to have you back on the stage. I think everyone's excited. Thank you. There are very few, I have to say, of these incredible rooms left. And Mm. it's sad to me because a lot of the rooms, you know, just coming up in the 70s and the 80s and all that, there used to be so many rooms around the country that you could play but they're all the industry changes and people want to stay home more and watch tv and all of that and i understood why nightclubs and cabaret rooms and all that why they didn't make it but when you have this jewel Mm. which that's what i consider 54 below and let me just say one thing and we all know it and there's no getting around it I had some of the greatest times of my life at Studio 54 up above. Yes. Okay. And you can all watch that documentary and (laughs) I should be getting a residual because I'm in that a lot. Okay. And so, I mean, that whole building. (laughs) Call them up. I mean, you know, I, I just find that whole building so special and so wonderful. And so I'm so grateful to everyone who works there. And I'm so glad that everybody is back and all of that. Because I really, honest to God, I really did worry about you guys. Aw, thank you. I'll definitely let the rest of the team know that. And I'm sure they'll hear it on the podcast. Please, I love them. I do. I love them. And you know why I love them? I love 54 Below. And I'll tell you why. I love 54 Below so much because you really are walking back into a time 
of it is glamorous okay mm -hmm. and it is beautiful and you do expect to i don't know see someone dressed in some fabulous suit mm -hmm. walk by in there because it's glamour and it just has a timeless energy about the decor about everything about 54 below is so special and i have to say this because this is my part of my love of 54 below it has the greatest sound mm. and lights and all of the people who run the technical part of 54 below i love them yeah. i mean they are so caring mm -hmm. and they do the greatest job and I don't know, that day of rehearsal, there's going to be a lot. Get out the Kleenex, honey. I want that concession. <laughs> All right. Get that concession out. Okay. We'll make sure we have the Kleenex ready for you, Lorna. We're gonna, <laughs> we are going to have all the emotions seeing you back at the club as well. We are so excited for you. We love you just as much as you love us. And <laughs> I just want to thank you for taking so much time out of your day today to chat with me and just tell all those stories. You have inspired me so much today just sitting and chatting with you. I'm so excited to see you oh. perform back at the club. This is so exciting. It is exciting. <laughs> I guess over the last 17 months, we have all sort of felt a bit like having the rug, you know, the old magician's thing where he pulls the tablecloth off and nothing moves mm -hmm. or, or it falls on the floor. <laughs> We've been living with that tablecloth, okay? Because we don't know if it's all going to crash down or if it's all going to be okay. You know what I mean? It's like, yes. That's the visual I always have. There's that tablecloth. I don't know what's going to happen when we pull it. Yes. And, and that's what we've been. that's what we've been living through for 17 months. And I think to myself, I've now, when I saw that picture of the theater's opening last night and I saw all of that, I thought, oh my God, they pulled the tablecloth and it's all still there. Yes! Yay! Yes! <laughs> wow, that is a brilliant metaphor. That is so true. That is exactly how it feels. <laughs> and it is like a sigh of relief, like, oh, the show's opened. We're okay. <laughs> We're okay. Yeah. And I'm grateful. And that's what the show is called. It's all about, what did I get out of this? Mm -hmm. I got to stop and I got to realize what are my gratefuls. And I think that that's a very, very cool thing to say during something that was so, I guess you want to say unpredictable, so unhinged, so crazy, so everything. What was the good that you got out of this? What can mm -hmm. you take away that you got out of this? And if you can find something that is a positive out of all the negativity, then I think that you've learned something and that's what you should leave the room with. Thank you so much for taking the time out to chat with us today, Lorna. You can catch Lorna Luft on October 21st through October 23rd at 7 p.m. at Fine Science 54 Below. Join Lorna as she brings joy to the craziness in the world around us by sharing her favorites from the great American songbook. Expect some songs made famous by her mother and film legend Judy Garland, as well as stories from Hollywood, Broadway, and beyond, as only she can tell them. You don't want to miss this. Get your tickets now. You've been listening to the Fine Science 54 Below podcast, part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.